If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Ruth? The book of Ruth, we are in chapter 3, so we are spending this morning working through that chapter, and next week we'll finish up our series that we've journeyed together on through this book. And I pray it's been encouraging to you. I pray that it's helped you just to savor how great Christ is for us and, and, and how near God is to us, even through the worst of things and even when we don't notice that He's there. Right? Even in our disobedience, right? he, he's, he's there. And, and so my prayer is, is that you've, you've been encouraged in seeing that and, and perhaps through seeing it in the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz that, that you also see it in your own life as well. And, uh, and this morning, I've structured the sermon pretty similar to the way I structured the very first sermon when we went through Ruth. And so on the back half this morning, I'm going to spend our time in the takeaways, but I want to make connections for us to, to help us see Christ more clearly in what we see with Boaz and, and help us to see ourselves more clearly in how we see Ruth and Naomi. And so I, I just want to say that up front so that we can all hold that in our head as we, as we work through the text and then by God's grace be encouraged by it. But Ruth chapter 3, I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 3. Again, we don't know exactly who the author of Ruth is, but as Christians we know that the Holy Spirit of God has inspired every, every line in the Bible, so we can trust this and have confidence that the Holy Spirit inspired it, and the Holy Spirit of God has also preserved it for us, so that when we see this and when we read this, we are reading the very words of God. And so chapter 3, starting with verse 1. The word of the Lord says this, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative? And if you're the underlining type, I'd underline that. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the fleshing, threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Verse 5, and she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. We saw that word in the last chapter as well. Verse 10, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. 
You've made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. And now it's true that I'm a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he'll redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you... You begin to see a theme right through repetition there. If he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. And again, just as a note, we see redeem, redeemer. We see the word lie used several times in this passage. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman, that Ruth, came to the threshing floor, and he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she, Ruth, told her, her mom-in-law, all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out for the man. And I love how this leaves off here. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. We go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you again for your word, God. We thank you for the story that you've preserved, historical account of of Boaz and Ruth and and the eternal significance of you bringing them together. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to continue to see that. And Lord, help us to walk away this morning with an eagerness to worship you, to love you more, to be more devoted to you, to seek after you, Lord, to, to cast all other distractions aside, Lord, so that our singular focus may be your glory, which we know is ultimately for our good. And we love you in Christ's name. Amen. So <clears throat> the first thing that, that I noticed, you know, as I've studied this and, and that I think is worth us noting is we, we see a shift in, in Naomi, right? We see a shift from despair, which is where she kind of hung out until the end of chapter 2 last week, right? We, we saw Naomi in a, a pretty dark place, and, and we see this shift to hope and hopefulness, right? She's, she's beginning to be motivated, if you will. And, and we see verse uh, uh, 1 in, in chapter 3, Naomi said, right? she's the instigator here, Naomi said, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative? Is not Boaz our relative? Right? The, the woman who was a shell of her, her former self, right? she experienced God's covenant faithfulness. And we again, we saw that last week. She experienced God's covenant faithfulness again through Boaz. And now she's going to have nothing less for Ruth, and, 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 and thus her family, than f- to be fully restored, 
according to God's word, according to, to God's law. And as I was studying this passage and I was thinking about Naomi and Ruth experiencing God's covenant faithfulness through the kindness of Boaz and then watching Naomi's response, right? Naomi becoming the instigator of this, this plan, if you will. I couldn't help but to think of Psalm um, 34, verse 8. And you, you'd be familiar with this psalm. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or happy is the man who takes refuge, which is one of the things that we see Ruth ask of Boaz. We'll see that here in a few minutes. But blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Right? Ruth and Naomi, they began to taste the goodness of God. Right? They, they tasted it at the table of Boaz. Right? They ate the grain from his fields. And, and in their tasting of that lavish generosity, they saw and knew the goodness and the faithfulness of Yahweh. And now in chapter 3, here in the chapter that we're looking at this morning, they want more. Right? They want more. They've tasted. Now they want more, which really is a proper response to tasting the goodness of God, right? We should want more of that. Naomi especially wants more. And, and this isn't greed, right? Or, or, or this is righteous greed, if the, <laughs> there's, there's such a thing as that, right? They, they began to taste the goodness of God. And, and I think this is the natural trajectory of repentance and, and restoration in this story. The, the author of Ruth left off last week with, with two widows living together. And, and the author, I think, was signaling to us, this is not good. Right? Two widows living together. If that was the end of the story, there's no, there's, the, the circle is not closed as it relates to redemption. There's more that needs to be done, right? Redemption truly, completely needs to occur, right? We need to move from it's unfinished to it's finished, right? So the process of, the process of restoration is not complete yet. And so Naomi has a plan, right? And remember in the last chapter, again, Ruth in the last chapter, she was the motivated one, right? She was kind of the one that was advancing the narrative for us down the field Always. But in chapter 3, Naomi is the one that's driving this plan. And the plan is for Ruth to find rest, which is the way the, the ESV, the version that I just read from, it's the way the ESV translates it. Naomi says, Rest that it may be well with you. Right? That's to say that, that Naomi is seeking to have Ruth, she's seeking to have her married. Right? She's seeking for Ruth to have a true home. Right, to have her as a young widow fully redeemed, and thus the house of Elimelech, right, her dead husband, his house redeemed. And, and we'll see the significance of the genealogy of Boaz uh, in the coming weeks, or in next week, actually, and I'm sure that you, you know, you're, you're aware of that already. But one commentator says this, and I think it captures well the shift that we see in Naomi from chapters 1 and 2 to chapter Three. He says what Naomi plans, and I, I like the way he, he, 
He, he says this, what Naomi plans is the concrete expression of covenant faith. It's the concrete expression of covenant faith. She's putting her trust in God's covenant care as, it is, as it's embodied by his people in obedience to his laws. And then we see that Ruth, she shares Naomi's faith. Right? What a turning that is, right? What a change. And that's what, that's what living and experiencing and tasting the goodness of God will do to you. That's what it will do to you. Every time, that's what it'll do to you. All right? It'll providentially drive you further and deeper into communion with Him that shows up in the very way that, it, that, that, that in, in the very decisions that you make. It becomes a very concrete thing, changes the way that you live your life. So a plan's hatched, right? Ruth is to clean herself, just clean herself up, right? Again, she, she works in, in Boaz's fields, which is which is tedious and hard and grueling work. So she's now, uh, the instructions of Naomi, her mother-in-law, clean yourself up, right, to uh, anoint herself with a, with a fragrance, if you will, and, and to, to go to the threshing floor. And it's at the threshing floor that, that Boaz was throwing a sort of uh, a party of sorts for his employees as, as they were uh, winnowing barley, together, right? They, they would come and they would shep, separate the chaff or the pests from the grains. They were preparing the grain, if you will. And, and that was in and of itself a really hard and tedious work. And a, a good jolly boss, good kind boss like, like Boaz would have wanted to, to oversee that and to be a part of that and to also uh, be with his employees doing that grueling work and, and, and make it a, a more enjoyable experience. But Ruth is instructed to go. She's instructed to remain hidden. And when Boaz lies down, she's to uncover his feet and to lie at his feet. And and, and perhaps the uncovering here um, would have made him cold. I don't know, you know, maybe maybe it would, um, you know, pulling off the covers off of someone you know, they, they tend to, to notice that. I'm not quite sure for the reason for these particular instructions, other than the uncovering of feet, would have made him realize that she was, in fact, at his feet. Now, I've read some commentaries that, that treat this as a, a type of proposal, right? Ruth proposing to Boaz. Not, not like this was a customary proposal, that this was the way in which women proposed to men in the ancient Near Eastern culture, but this was how Ruth proposed to Boaz. Okay, this was specifically how she did it, and, and I tend to agree with that. I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. She dresses as a bride of sorts, right? She cleans herself. She puts on perfume, if you will. She, she's wearing the, this cloak, but, but if you're paying attention right, as you're reading this section, it should make you a little uneasy right, re- reading this section. It should make you a little uncomfortable because it, it could have gone wrong if it weren't for God's providential hand and if it weren't for the character of both Ruth and Boaz. Uh, now, one commentator says that Ruth is go, coming in the night to the feet of Boaz, how that is a, he calls it a manifold irregularity. 
a manifold irregularity. And, and the plan, as I could see, it could have had at least two main issues with it or could have caused two main issues. The first issue it could have caused um, is there was, a, there was a redeemer who was closer than Boaz. Right? And, and Boaz knew there was a closer redeemer. And so a question that I have is if, is if Naomi knew that Boaz was a redeemer, wouldn't she have known there, were, there was a, a closer relative either, uh, even than Boaz? I'm, I'm not sure of the answer to that, but that could have caused trouble according to Levitical law, right? And, and for the most part, I just want to flag that for us, but because we don't know of, of Naomi's knowledge for sure, we only know what the text tells us. But Boaz knew there was a closer redeemer, and because Boaz was a man of integrity, he went about the process of redeeming Ruth the right way. But that process could have been the right process, could theoretically have been circumvented, and that would have caused issues, that would have caused problems. And so that is a potential problem, number one, with Ruth proposing to Boaz, okay? The, the second problem, which is perhaps the more obvious problem, is that it seems that even, even the appearance of this could have gone really bad for Ruth and Boaz, right? I think, that's, I think that's what is behind Naomi counseling Ruth to go in in the night and to not make herself known until Boaz was going to sleep, right? It could have also been what was behind Boaz's instructions to Ruth after he discovered her, after she made herself known to him. In verse 14, this is what we see. So she, speaking of Ruth, lay at his feet until the morning, right, based on his instructions, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, so it was still dark, even though it was morning. And he said this, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Let that not be known. All right, so, so I don't think that this is a model for us to follow per se, right? right? It, it, it's not normative. It, it, it isn't, as I said, a customary proposal, right? The, the reputation of both Ruth and Boaz could have been jeopardized, right? But there's some noteworthy things that balance this encounter for us a little bit, right? Ruth, according to our text, has a reputation of being, quote, a worthy woman. That is the way the text describes her. A worthy woman, which is translated by some translations as virtuous woman. Right? So, so think, if you're familiar with your Proverbs, think Proverbs 31 woman here. And if you're not, read Proverbs 31, right? But Ruth's deeds are known. There, she has a, a reputation. Her good deeds have a reputation in this society here, all throughout Bethlehem here. The way that she cares for her mother-in-law, the way in which she left Moab and everything that she once knew, right? her work ethic was known, her perseverance and suffering was known, right? her, her willingness here to propose to Boaz so that Elimelech's family could be redeemed, says something about her character as well, right? Her reputation is good even amongst the Israelites who would have been hesitant to say that anything good could come out of Moab, right? We see that in verse 11. We also know that Boaz, so, so we, we, we have Ruth is a worthy woman according to inspired scripture, right? We also have Boaz as a worthy man according to inspired scripture. 
Scripture. And we saw that last week, right, when we were introduced to Boaz, the author of Boaz wanted us to know he was a worthy man, which could also be translated as a man of great possessions, of great wealth, but also an honorable man as well. We saw his virtues last week. We see how well-liked he was by his employees. We see how thoughtful and caring and generous he could be. We saw that he, he, he was a man of God. So according to the Scripture, Ruth was a worthy woman and Boaz was a worthy man. And while there could have been plenty of unnecessary opportunity for sexual temptation and sexual sin in a situation like this, and while this may not have been a very prudent act, if we're honest about the the situation here, right? The Scripture's clear that nothing was done that could sour the character of either Ruth or Boaz. Nothing shameful happens in this text. And we shouldn't, I would even say, romanticize the encounter. And I think we import that a little bit. I, I think we might be reading the story wrong or reading that, re- reading romance into the story a little bit too much. The scripture tells us that Ruth laid at Boaz's feet like a servant. She even introduces herself, she reveals herself to him as a servant, right, and speaks to him as a servant. So she, she laid at his feet. She didn't lay at his side. And one historic commentator, a bishop named Joseph Hall, he says this. He says it this way. He says, Boaz, instead of touching her as a wanton, as, uh, touching her sexually unrestrained, he does this. He blesses her as a father. He encourages her as a friend. He promises her as a kinsman, he rewards her as a patron, and he sends her away laden with hopes and gifts, no less chaste, more happy than she came. More happy than she came, right? And and certainly we could make a connection of, man, when we spend time with Christ, and this, this has the aroma of that here. So Boaz, he calls her blessed. He calls her happy, and, and he calls what she does in this text the most kind of acts, that it's kinder even than her former acts. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? I, I think it has to do, and this is, again, why I don't think that we should read romance into this story. I think it has to do with Ruth being a Moabite, yet subjecting herself to the law of Moses. And I'm not saying that they didn't love each other. We don't want to walk away with that. But what I'm saying is we shouldn't read steaminess into this text, if that makes sense, as everyone uncomfortably laughs. <clears throat> but Ruth here, okay, Ruth, who was younger than Boaz here, okay, she was willing to marry as divine law instructed. So a Moabite fitting into the way of life as if she were an Israelite. Ruth didn't have to do that. She didn't have to do that. She could have just picked a random young man. She could have picked a random young wealthy man. And in doing that, marrying a random person would have perhaps provided for her and her needs and given her a home of sorts. But it wouldn't have led to the redemption of Elimelech's family. It would not have restored Naomi. 
An heir of the, in the line of Elimelech would have never come. Right? Naomi, again, would have never been redeemed. And this is why, again, I, I think we, should, we need to see this more than reading, again, romance into it per se, but Ruth's objective here, it was to honor the Lord by honoring the law, which meant honoring her mother-in-law and making sure that a kid in the line of Elimelech would come. Right, that, that, that's a great kindness. That is a great kindness. And this is the kindness that Boaz recognizes. He's not saying, man, this is such a great kindness that you would want to marry an old rich guy. Right? That, that isn't what he's saying when he's saying how kind, when he's talking about how kind Ruth is, right? That's not what he's, that's not what he's getting at. He's pointing again to her willing submission as a Moabite to subject yourself to God's law, to genuinely live inside of God's covenant faithfulness. For Ruth, this is what it meant on the street level to live in God's covenant faithfulness. This is rubber meets the road theology here, right? I've tasted the covenant faithfulness of God. There's a particular way of life in which those who live inside God's covenant faithfulness live. How could I not? How could I not? How could I think of doing any other thing? How could I give lip service to this God that I'm now worshiping and not allow that profession to animate my entire life? So she tasted the goodness of God and she was committed to sticking to that trajectory. She chose to be redeemed according to God's law regarding kinsmen redeemers. Her aim was to please the Lord, to honor Naomi, to honor the clan of Elimelech, and trust that God would restore and redeem her family. Her faith is animating her. So what a kindness a Moabite is demonstrating to an Israelite family. And Boaz sends her home, right? Not in the middle of the night, because that would be dangerous, but early in the morning while it was still dark to, to preserve their reputations and so that he could get to work right away on redeeming Ruth. And notice that he was eager. He was eager to redeem Ruth. I love that. And he communicates his eagerness to redeem her through just further generosity. And that generosity signals to Naomi, the mother-in-law, exactly what he intends to do. He's not sending mixed signals here. He intends to marry Ruth. He intends to redeem, to have Ruth, uh, to have Elimelech's family fully restored. Now, what I'd like to do, and I said this at the beginning of the message, but I want to do kind of what I did with the first sermon in Ruth. I want to spend the rest of the time on takeaways that I've given you that are in your bulletin. And I want to draw out a few things that I think are significant for us. They're things that, as I've just kind of worked through, chewed on this text, meditated on this text, um, things that have, have stood out to me, things that the Lord has used to encourage me, uh, to, to uh, put me in a place of, of wanting to worship Him just privately before Him, and, and now us collectively to gather as, uh, together as His church. And, and my prayer is, is that, that you would be spiritually encouraged and nourished by these takeaways as well. And the first is this, and I you know, made mention of underlining it, but that question is Boaz 
not our relative? Is Boaz not our relative is equal to, is Christ not our Savior? Right? Is Boaz not our relative? Is Christ not our Savior? Naomi, in asking the question in verse 1, is Boaz not our relative, is her asking a rhetorical question. The rhetorical question, to put it another way, is will, he, will this Redeemer not redeem us? Is what she's saying. Will the Redeemer not redeem us? In effect, she's saying, of course Boaz will redeem. Right? That's what Redeemers do. They redeem. And if this is true of Boaz, as we're, we're seeing here in our text, how much truer is this with Christ? How much truer is this with Christ? Is Christ not our kinsman redeemer, our better, eternal kinsman redeemer? Right? Is he not our savior? And just as Ruth and Naomi were facing starvation, so are we, independent of Christ, spiritually starved. Just as Ruth and Naomi lived in poverty, so are we in spiritual poverty because of our sin. Yet Christ is our Redeemer. He's our Savior. He's the lifter of our head. He is, as we've seen, our living bread. He's the one who, who came to seek and save the lost. He's the one who came to take us out of Moab and to put us in Bethlehem, the land of promise. He came to heal the spiritually sick. He came to feed the spiritually hungry. He came to give drink to the spiritually thirsty, which means that he came to give himself to you. He's the one who... He took, our, he took our sins. He took our sins upon himself. Every one of our sins upon himself. And, and he suffered the wrath of God for our sins. Every ounce of God's wrath, he, he absorbed, he took because of us, because of our transgressions. Those in the past, Those that we committed here on the way to church, even the whitest lie was deserving of the full force of God's wrath, and Christ took it because He's our Redeemer. He's our Redeemer. If you know you're a sinner this morning, is Christ not your Savior? Christ not your Savior? And I mentioned this at our confession of sin, but you, you, you look outside of yourself. I mean, there's only, there's only one Redeemer. Right? There's only one kinsman Redeemer, and we'll, we'll see that more even next week. There's no other name by which man can be saved. And Christ is a willing Redeemer. Right? Is not Christ our Savior? Was Jesus not the Savior of the thief on the cross that asked to be remembered. Was He not the Savior of Paul, the persecutor of the church, the worst sinner who ever lived, the text tells us? Was He not the Savior of Peter who repeatedly denied Him in the most crucial moments, the most heartbreaking moments of His earthly ministry? If He was their Savior, then He's your Savior. He was their Savior, then He's your Savior. Christ came 
to save sinners. He, he came to make us clean before God through the shedding of his blood. And if you're a sinner, if you hunger, if you thirst, if you're in spiritual poverty, then come to Christ. Forsake Moab, forsake your sins, right? This very day, this very moment, and come to Jesus. Is he not your Savior? Secondly, there's safety at the feet of Jesus. There's safety at the feet of Jesus. I think of the way that Boaz imaged Jesus and how he treated Ruth. Again, this could have gone another way. Right? Ruth could have found herself unwittingly in this precarious situation in which a man would take advantage of her and leave her destitute and leave her sullied. Put her in a place where she's not, no one wants to marry her. No one wants anything to do with her. Instead, she found a man who exhibited God's covenant love in such a way that it made her eager to say, spread, quote, spread your wings over your servant. You're a redeemer. You're a redeemer. Aren't, aren't those beautiful words of trust and faith? If Boaz was a safe haven, if Boaz was a refuge for Ruth, which is what that verse is getting at when she says, spread your wings over. If he was that for Ruth, how much more is Christ that? Right, Christ, the, the greater Boaz. Christ, the, the greater safe haven. Christ, the greater refuge. As the psalm we sang and we read at the beginning of the service, right, of this very present help in times of trouble. If he's there in times of trouble, he's there when things are good. He's there all, all the time. He's never not there. Will Christ not deal more kindly to us than Boaz even did to Ruth? Right? Boaz was a godly man, yet he was still sinful and he was still fallen. And so, man, if you're reading this story and you think, wow, Boaz, there's someone better than Boaz. And Boaz, in his kindness, he had Ruth stay at his feet, stay at his feet during the potential terrors and dangers of the night that, that Ruth would face if he sent her away, if he sent her home. And if he said, you know what? You're going to taint my reputation by being here because you've already put me in an uncomfortable situation with this weird proposal. Or people for 2,000 years are kind of trying to interpret why it is that you, for thousands and thousands of years, why it is that you uncovered my feet. No one quite knows the answer to that. What? But, but he could have said, you're, you're putting me in a bad position. Right? And you're from Moab. Let's not forget that either. Go away. He wasn't scared of being associated with her. He wasn't scared of his reputation being tied to hers. He wasn't scared of risking his reputation by being with her. How much more is Christ who draws himself near us sinners? who knows everything about us, who knows that we're way more sinful than we actually realize. But he draws close to us, and he redeems us, and he stays close to us. Ruth, she could sleep peacefully 
at the feet of Boaz, knowing that she was protected and watched over. And we must stay at the feet, and we're welcomed there to stay at the feet of Jesus, to stay low before Jesus, to stay close to Jesus, to rest before Jesus, to rest in Jesus, rest knowing that he is our rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Know that no matter what comes in life, that it's good for you to be at the feet of Jesus. He's your Lord. He's your Redeemer. There's safety. There's spiritual safety at the feet of Jesus. Number three, we can't redeem ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. Right? The washing and perfuming of Ruth did not redeem her. It did not redeem Elimelech's family. Right? Even Boaz feeding Ruth and Naomi didn't redeem them. Boaz still had to do all the work of the Redeemer, and this is critical for us, and it's his work alone to do. It was his work alone to do. And we'll, again, see that more next week in our final just study of this book. But what should be clear to us is that while Ruth could effort and did effort much in this story, she couldn't redeem herself despite how worthy of a woman she's called, despite how hardworking she is, she couldn't redeem herself. Naomi also couldn't redeem herself or provide an heir in Elimelech's lineage. In the same way, we can't redeem ourselves no matter our best efforts. We can't do it. doesn't matter how virtuous we may think that we are. Christ must do all the work of redemption. Christ must do all the salvific work for his people. And the Lord does this very thing, and we're invited, empty-handed though we are, to come to him. Just to come. The Lord through the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55 says, come everyone who thirst, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine, come buy milk without money and without price. Right, have you ever been on a holiday in which all the expenses were paid? Like you didn't have to pay those expenses. Right, you didn't have to worry about paying for the hotel or the beach cottage that was taken care of, all of your meals were paid for, drinks were taken care of, right? An all-inclusive holiday at no cost to you. If you haven't experienced that, Doug Hazel will, will provide that for you. Um, <clears throat> but that's, that would be a great trip, right? That would be a great trip. What Christ did as Redeemer is so much better than that. It's so much better than that. And it cost him everything. It cost him everything. And and while I don't want to downplay the hardship of the Christian pilgrimage and and the call to deny yourself, your salvation, like Christ reconciling you by forgiving you through his shed blood was paid in full by him, not you, not me. It's given The Apostle Paul says it's given as a gift. Both the grace and the faith are given as gift, and we can't brag about it. No one can boast about it. Our boasting can only be in Christ Jesus who provided it freely to us. 
We can't redeem ourselves. We come to Christ with nothing except our sin. We have nothing of value that we add to him. We have nothing to do that can improve upon his work. We have no bargaining power. We're completely destitute like two widows in the ancient Near East culture. Yet he tells us to come. He bids us to come. And when we come, we find rest for our souls. And when we come, he will not cast us out. John 6, 37. The final thing is Jesus' work of redemption is thorough. It's thorough. He did everything the law required. And again, we're going to see more of this next week. But we see the care and concern that Boaz had for the law of God. Again, he was a man of integrity. He wasn't going to circumvent God's process. The man who stayed in the midst of the famine and didn't leave Right? was also the man that wasn't going to, to circumvent God's law and say, even though I know that there's a nearer kinsman redeemer, I'm going to go ahead and take care of this, and I'm going to, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get things squared away right now. That's not what we see Boaz do. Boaz kept the law. He did things right. right? It would have been expedient for him to just marry Ruth, end of story, but he honored God's process. He honored God's process. And certainly we should see that Jesus did this in an even greater way, didn't he? Did this in an even greater way. All right, Christ upheld all of God's glorious standard. There wasn't one part of God's law, moral, civil, ceremonial, not one part that Christ didn't uphold perfectly. Not one part of it. That's why he's the ultimate and the greater and the eternal kinsman redeemer. And through his person and through his work, He's gone all the way. He's gone all the way. And as we'll see next week, Jesus has eternally wedded himself to us. Though, though we be spiritual Moabites, Jesus weds himself eternally to us. So is Christ not our Savior? Remember that there's safety at the feet of Jesus. Remember that we can't redeem ourselves, right? There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. That's all of Christ's work. That's all of grace. And remember that Christ did all that God's law required him. He is a sufficient, good, greater, eternal kinsman redeemer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you again for this time that we have have had in your word, God, and I pray, Lord, that it would drive us further into communion with you, God, and that the further we find our pleasure, our delight, our joy in you, God, that that would have a transforming work on our lives for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.